This is The Sharpened, a podcast by accident in North American climbing. I'm Ashley Soppy, your hostess for the show. So today I talk with a couple who went out for a casual day of climbing in, in Yosemite National Park. This casual day of climbing resulted in an injury that will have lifelong effects on both of their lives. Welcome to the show, Alina. Go ahead and jump right into the story. Great. Um, yeah, so um, I'm a graduate student at Stanford. Um, I've been here about seven years now. The reason I came to California was because I was in love with climbing and, and I took a little side trip to Yosemite and really wanted to be here and climb as much as possible. And so I've been climbing for about 10 years, mostly trad. Uh, I really loved Yosemite and I actually really enjoyed taking beginners out and I was part of the Stanford Alpine Club and we had an amazing thing going. We were teaching classes. Um, we were taking new people out all the time, and Ben was a new boyfriend of mine, and I decided that I absolutely had to introduce him to a really key part of my identity, which was rock climbing outside. So after our first date, which was uh, at the rock gym, fast forward to a couple of months later, um, I decided to go with him and a group of friends to Yosemite for a trip on Halloween. So we had about 10 people in the group, we had costumes, and we were gonna do some climbing casually during the day, and then during the night we were gonna all get together, put on our crazy costumes with LEDs, and take pictures of night climbing. So I, I picked a route that I had done a couple of times before. It's called Braille Book, it's 5.8, and it, it has a little bit of a reputation in Yosemite. I mean, it, people get spooked on it, it's wide, but I like wide climbing, so I never really, got too scared on it even when I did it kind of as a more beginner climber. Um, I thought we could do it pretty quickly and that was my goal to come back to camp, up, go take these great pictures. So we hiked up really early. We were the first party on the wall. It was, it was still pretty chilly. Um, I was carrying a backpack with some, some water, some layers, um, my shoes, and Ben was carrying a backpack too. We started climbing, I felt great. I was kind of focused on getting this out of the way and showing Ben the ropes a little bit. And the first two pitches went uh, really smoothly. We were still the only people on the wall. And then I started out the third pitch and I realized that I didn't really want to place gear on the anchor because it was kind of to the right of where the crack started. I was worried about rope drag, I was thinking about going quickly, and I was thinking about how comfortable I'd been in the beginning. So I chose not to. Ben was on a platform to the right of the anchor. I kept moving left past the anchor and into the crack, and when I got into the crack, I realized that it was way too wide for any of the pieces that I brought. So I started moving up, and it got wider. And I remember thinking that in order to feel secure, I needed to move inside this chimney and I wanted to do my back against the wall and my knees against the other wall, but I was wearing this little backpack. So normally, whenever I take my backpack off in the middle of climbing to hang it between my legs so that I could put my back against the wall, I always have a piece next to me in case something happens. And this time, just I think from complacency, from being too comfortable from wanting to move quickly. I decided not to climb back down to the anchor. I decided not to do the safest thing, but to do the quickest thing, which is I started taking off my backpack with no, no gear between me and Ben. 
And as I was taking it off, the backpack slipped a little bit. I, I don't remember much other than I, I think just instinctively I grabbed for it and that threw me off balance and I pitched off the wall. I was on terrain where I was really comfortable, but it was just this little detail that uh, changed everything for me in that moment. So um, I was a big believer in the, I guess the, the term is Jesus note, like that you want to place as soon as possible after you start climbing so you don't take a factor two fall in your belayer. I ignored that that one time. The one thing I did right was that I was wearing a helmet. So there are a couple of dents in it. And the last thing I remember is kind of the wall coming towards me and deflecting it with my hand. And I think I, it hit my head after that. But I blacked out for a couple of seconds. And when I came to, I was way, way below Ben. I think we... I was probably 10 to 15 feet above him when I fell, and I think we estimated that I fell about 60 feet total. 60 feet? 60 feet! That is an incredible distance to fall. And so you were up on the third pitch, is that right? Yeah, I was on the third pitch. We were about 280 feet off the ground, and the climb is pretty overhanging. It's a book, so you it's not so hard because you can stem, but there was... There, were, there was not a lot of terrain below me, thank God. I just fell into the air, and then I think I, I bounced. But when I came to, um, I could not really feel my legs. They just felt, they were like just buzzing with like goosebumps. I thought I'd broken them. I was also hanging upside down. <laughs> you were upside down? Well, I guess, so I, I was kind of semi-upside down, and I could not get myself back upright my original so that was the first thing that I tried to do was to write myself up and that was really hard without without my legs I wasn't thinking super clearly so then I saw that it would be the easiest thing to do would be for Ben to lower me to this the top of the first pitch to the beginning of the second pitch um, there was a nice ledge there Ben started doing that very slowly, and I, I kept trying to grab hold of things on the rock as he was lowering me to try to keep uh, get myself back upright, and that was really impossible. And actually, what we heard as Ben was lowering me was that there was another party that w had just started the climb, and they came up and they joined me on the ledge. Uh, it was really hard to keep my balance on the ledge uh, without my legs, and I was pretty scared, but... The next party came up and they set up a rope and uh, the leader, he set up his rope to lower me and he rappelled down with me and kept me oriented at that point. Uh, I was in a lot of pain. Well, Alina, how long were you waiting for a search and rescue? Yosar took about an hour and a half to get to me. They had um, people hiking up the gully, including a medic. Um, there was a, uh, and then there was a helicopter, and this is one of the few rescues that they have done from that gully. It's very steep. The helicopter came incredibly close to the rock to get me, but um, they lowered down a rope to me in a gurney. Yosar had hiked a gurney up the gully, and then uh, I was raised up into the helicopter and flown to Yosemite Meadow, where then I was transferred to another helicopter. And then off to the hospital. Wow. So... So then at the hospital, Anita, you got some big news and what happened there? So yeah, all together, uh, I fractured the L1 vertebrae in my spine. I had to get 
rods put in and so my, my spine is fused uh, below and above the break. I punctured, or I guess I, I got a, a hemothorax, I deflated a lung, I broke a couple of ribs, I broke my, um, my clavicle, and I broke my thumb. And yeah, I think if it weren't for my helmet, my, I probably would have had a pretty bad concussion. And I was really grateful that I wasn't suffering from any of those symptoms while my body was kind of in such a bad state. Um, I think adding that on top of everything would have been really terrible. Alina, it would have been absolutely devastating. Yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, I felt really clear and that I still had myself, basically. So, yeah, wear a helmet, kids. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm in a difficult spot with a spinal cord injury because the prognosis is so unknown. Like, doctors can't really give me a timeline. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much I'm going to recover or when, so I'm trying kind of to take each day as it comes and do my best. And that's all we can do, right? So your Blair's name is Ben, and he just happens to be your partner. How do you think Ben is dealing with all this? He's, he's had to deal with being the person who caught me, which is not a super easy thing because, you know, there's always questions about could I have done anything better? Could I have done anything different? Yeah, I think that there will always be those those thoughts in someone's head um, for sure. And I actually have Ben on the line right now. Ben, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Ben Ongs. Um, I moved to the area in August of 2013 for work. And um, I met Alina and she invited me to the climbing gym last May. And that's how I got into climbing. <laughs> the rest is history. Thanks for being on the show, Ben. So what was going through your head when Alina fell? You know, like at, at, at the actual moment that she fell, you know, I wasn't I, I was I was looking away, you know, and, and when when she went to grab for her bag, like I heard her yell and I looked and suddenly she's falling. Right. And so, like, I do everything I can to take the rope and the the way that the anchor is set up from there. Uh, her weight was pulling at my waist. And so my whole body was pulled against like this little, I don't want to quite call it a wall, but it was like a pillar. Yeah. It's, it's like a small pillar. I don't know. And like my, my hands got pulled over it and you know, my, my arms got fully straightened. So it sort of instinctively my hands, you know, released. And so that she kept falling and it, Right when it happened, it was it was like, oh, this is weird. What's happening? And then and then you know, a split second later, I was like, oh god, this rope that's falling is at the other end is Alina, so I need to catch it. Um, I made sort of this wild grab and um, ended up stopping it with my with uh, my inner arm. I have this big burn there now. You have a burn from the rope. Yeah. So so it it, it tore through. I want to say like three layers and my skin, but you know, it ended up catching her. And then, you know, I, at the time the bag wasn't even like in my mind, I was just like, Oh God, what just happened? At first I had thought that, that this kind of fall was normal. I was like, Oh, you know, she's probably fine. Like she's just going to get right back at it, climb back up to me. And then we're just going to go finish this climb. This is great. But you know, I was, I was yelling and yelling her name and yelling her name more and for about 15 seconds, she wasn't responding, and it really freaked me out. And when she came to, she sort of made this 
the only the only way that I would ever describe it as pain, it's it, there's this noise that that I don't think I could ever emulate without ever being in that much pain myself. Um, that's when I realized, yeah, something was really wrong. So then you yelled for help, and then shortly afterwards, you heard someone yell back up at you, letting you know that Yosar was was notified. So here you are, you're you're you've climbed six times total in your entire life. And you are hanging on the side of a granite cliff in Yosemite National Park with your girlfriend, um, who's hanging from one end of the rope, crying out in pain. What do you do next? At, at, at that point, Alina was like, you know, help me get down. Help me, please, like, do whatever you can. You know, like, I can't feel my legs. Yeah, so... I was I was panicked, but I, I guess everybody who was there that day told me I was like remarkably calm. I don't know. I mean, I think Ben and I are both pretty calm and collected in, in these kinds of situations where I was just kind of constantly assessing what needed to happen next and what would help me. And I wasn't panicked or, or blinded by fear or emotion at that point. And I think I, I was worried about Ben because... He was definitely relying on me to get up and get down safely. I, I wasn't sure if he would be able to, for example, like fix a rope and rappel down by himself. So one of the things we talked about was having another party help him get down. So how long did the rescue take? Um, Alina fell at about 1230. And then Yosar showed up at about four and the helicopter left with her at about 430. But uh, Yosar did a really good job of getting me out of there. And, and how are you doing now? It's been about nine months, yep. and I'm still in a wheelchair. After the surgery, I woke up feeling a whole lot better. Um, feeling returned pretty quickly to my legs, kind of like from the top down. Like first I could feel my thighs and then somewhere around the knee. Uh, it was a really bizarre feeling. <laughs> Movement came back to my left side much faster to my, than my right. Alina, how many days, weeks, or months did it take for you to be able to feel your legs? I want to say it, I want to say it took about a month for her to start being able to like activate her left quad. Yeah. I know these are these are like different time points, but at about two months, at two months, she had feeling down to her ankles. Yeah. So very slow. So after, after the hospital in which I got the surgery, I was moved to a rehab hospital for about a month. There was a lot of focus on, on wheelchair skills and kind of learning to be more independent. But I would sort of wake up and suddenly I'd be able to like feel my, my shin. <laughs> or um, I would wake up and suddenly there would be a, a new muscle firing in my, in my left quad. And um, my right leg is still a lot weaker than my left, but I walk around now with a walker and a brace that stabilizes my right knee and my right uh, ankle. On my left, I just need an ankle brace. So that's been a really slow road to get back to walking again, but that's my goal. I would say that if I'm being honest, to climb again, at least in a gym, and to go up is definitely a goal of mine. It's, it's hard when these, these goals have to be far in the future and are so uncertain. Well, yeah, the uncertainty is scary. I mean, uh, you can't just wake up and say, hey, let's go climb in Yosemite because now you have a limitation, a physical limitation where you're not able to have that instant gratification as you were 
last year. And so um, it's difficult. But again, it seems like you setting these small goals is really helping. And that's, that's very inspiring. Yeah, I would say that in the past, if there if there were an objective that I was like, oh, like I really want to climb Half Dome, but right now I know I'm not strong enough and I'm not fast enough, I kind of knew what I had to do to get there. And I knew that if I worked hard enough, that I would eventually get to the point of having that strength and that uh, skill set. So the problem, right, with dealing with these sort of dramatic physical limitations with a disability is that there's no roadmap for how to get back. No one can tell me that, like, oh, if you do these, like, 10 PT exercises every day that you'll walk again. So it's dealing with that uncertainty that is, for me, the hardest because I am used to setting goals, identifying how to get get there, and then accomplishing them. And here I just have to deal with the sort of vast unknown of neuroregeneration. <laughs> So Alina and Ben, can you, um, either one of you, go ahead and give um, a couple of takeaways. So uh, climbers that are going to go into their climbing season here this fall have a different perspective. Ben can, uh, ben can speak to the belay side of things, but I'll just say that helmets are an amazing safeguard of something that is the core of who you are. So... I wouldn't be so motivated and so able to deal with my physical injuries if I were also dealing with a concussion, with traumatic brain injury, or if I were dead. So I think my helmet saved my life, and there's really no reason not to wear it. And that's one of the things that I pretty much always do. The other takeaway is I think that when you're on easy terrain and you are feeling really comfortable and you have other priorities and you're thinking about the things that you're going to do later that day or, or how important it is to pass the next party or something like that, that those kind of concessions can add up and you can end up making a mistake in a bad context and that can really uh, hurt you. So I would say be really careful with how many little slips you allow yourself because they can they can add up and lastly I think and this is something I still believe is that you know safety is a very complicated question and there's no formula there's no answer for every situation you're never gonna be perfect in every situation you're sometimes going to run it out you're sometimes going to choose to move quickly to get to the to the top before it's dark or it rains. Um, and that's fine. Safety is a complicated equation. And what happened to me has not changed my stance that, you know, it's impossible to protect for all the inevitable mistakes or, or consequences all the time. But you have to kind of just do your best. And Alina, you have, you're blogging all of this, correct? So um, I am uh, blogging at smallrestlesshuman.com. I think the subtitle is like uh, recovery as an impatient, imperfect, hyperactive young person. So yeah, it's just about the many small steps that I've taken uh, since the fall, the biking and the swimming and the weird ways in which, um, you know, all your sensations and functions come back after something as crazy as a spinal cord injury. I love getting comments and feedback. So if 
uh, people want to check it out and learn more about my recovery, I would love people to go and visit. Well, thank you, Ben, and thank you, Alina, for being on the show today. If you want to check out Alina's website, again, that is smallrestlesshuman.com. Ben had only climbed six times before with little to no experience multi-pitch trad climbing. In combination with that right there and the fact that he most likely hadn't had much experience catching leader falls on belay, so I think Alina's fall still would have happened, but they could have lessened her fall distance. She was 15 feet above the belay anchor with no protection placed. So that falls about 30 feet. Plus some rope stretch. So say we're at 40 feet. But they say she fell 60 feet. Why? Why did she fall 20 more feet? Well, because Ben let go of the rope in all that commotion. And I don't want to pick on him. Accidents happen. Especially when you're under stress. But let this be a good lesson to all climbers all belayers. So practice, practice, practice. Go get used to catching falls. Indoor climbing gyms are great places to do that. Um, It's a relatively safe environment and you can just catch leader falls all day. Another learning for me is when Alina fell, Ben said he was yanked into the rock feature that ended up squishing his fingers. And this is why he instinctively released his grip on the rope. And, and why he had to bumble around really quickly and grab the rope again after he let go of it when it was zooming by with his girlfriend on the other end. When he went to go grab that rope, it gave him a rope burn so bad on his arm, he still has the scar today. The learning here is to pay attention to how your anchor is built. How is your anchor set up? If there is a downward force on that anchor, which direction is your belayer going to be pulled? These are very important questions that as climbers, we need to ask ourselves. I mean, the bottom line is that he should have had a tighter connection to the anchor and one that would hold him in place for both upward and downward pulls. So a snug, multi-directional tether was needed. Okay, and finally, as Elena told us, she didn't clip her rope into the anchor before starting her lead or place a piece soon after leaving the belay. Either one of these steps would have lessened the severity of her fall. Well, this concludes my eighth episode of The Sharp End. If you like what you hear, send the American Alpine Club a note. Accidents at AmericanAlpineClub.org Share this link with your friends and leave a review. I've been interviewing, editing, and producing these shows all by myself, making it all happen from airports, from inside my van parked on the sides of relatively quiet roads, in basements, and really, really anywhere I possibly can. The learning curve has been huge. So thanks for your patience as I attempt to navigate this podcast world. For this episode, though, I was offered some help from a woman named Elizabeth Iverson. She's a technical producer who simply wanted to volunteer her time because she believes in what I'm doing. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. And finally, I want to say thank you to the listener. Until next time, play hard and be smart.